We made this. Welcome to the Starlight Ballroom. Hey. Hello and welcome to Shipwrecked and Comatose, the podcast about Red Dwarf, here on the We Made This Podcast Network. My name's Mark Adams and I am your host. We are a little bit behind on what we were hoping to get posted by now. You might have noticed, you might not have done. We had planned episodes on the AA and the Smegazines during these last couple of months that we are struggling to find time to schedule. Essentially... As all the five of us have come out of lockdown, we've all had to readjust our life balance a little bit to what we had during lockdown. And I think we're not the only people that have struggled with that. We love this podcast and we are continuing with this podcast. We are just sometimes struggling because we're all working different kinds of hours, different situations with our families. We're struggling to be able to schedule stuff as easily as we once did. Doesn't mean that this podcast is going anywhere. We're still going to do episodes on the AA ads. We're still going to do episodes on the Smegazines. They just might be a little bit later than we'd hoped. Early 2022, we are also going to do Series 6 of Red Dwarf as well. A full rundown of all the six episodes in that. In the meantime, we thought you might like a cheeky little repost of something else, which is basically the reason why Shipwrecked and Comatose exists. During lockdown, I did a daily podcast. I was actually that bored. Yeah, so I did this daily podcast called Don't Say the C Word. And I got a different guest from different parts of my life to pop on and have a chat for about 20 minutes about something that they like. And Kurt came on and talked about Red Dwarf. We had such a lovely chat that at the end of it, after we'd stopped recording, I said, Kurt, do you want to do a podcast about Red Dwarf? And Kurt goes, I think I do. So we did, and um, this is kind of what happened. So, yeah, enjoy Past Mark, Past Kurt, and the origin of Shipwrecked and Comatose. Hello and welcome to Don't Say the C Word, the daily podcast during difficult times where I talk to a different guest about a different topic every single day. With me at this time is veteran We Made This regular podcaster, Kurt North. Hello, Kurt. Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad considering. How about yourself? I'm good. I've, uh, I'm getting to, to do podcasting, come off podcasting and go straight into a Skype call with work. So, you know, it's, it's basically... My life now is effectively talking through my Blue Yeti, which is uh, which is something that I w- wanted to do for a long time um, consistently, but maybe not with work. So it's uh, it's going interestingly, shall we say. Yeah, and we are living in interesting times. The fact that my mother is now using Skype and listening to podcasts is something that I never really expected. Hi, mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that's you, you're not alone in that. As quite a few people have started to... Um, you know, use that as a a new medium as such to uh, to shake off shake off the uh, the cobwebs and things like that while they while they clean the house and whatever. So yeah, it's a, it really is an interesting time. 
Yeah. Well, I've been around the... We made this podcast network for about five minutes, but you've been around pretty much from the start. Do you want to give me a quick rundown of what you've done for the network? Yeah, well, I started on the X-Cast with Tony. Tony's um, X-Cast, the X-Files podcast. Uh, that was before the network was even born. Uh, I appeared, appeared on a couple of Patreon, uh, Patreon roundtables on there and eventually um, took some hosting duties and some guest duties. Uh, I've then moved on to showrun a show myself, two shows actually. One was uh, Pick Up a Podcast, which is a podcast about podcasters and podcasting. So similar to what you're asking me now, actually, uh, where, <laughs> I, <laughs> where I interview people about their podcasts and uh, how they how they formulate that podcast together, um, what they do, what disasters they've had, um, and how they approach their show, things like that. So that's how I tend to look at the Pick Up a Podcast as a way of getting to know people and, and also um, spreading the, the net and for anyone who wants to find a podcast that they may not be listening to at the moment to mm. do that. So I started, so I started with that. And then Tony had been trying to get the millennium podcast to time. The time is now up off the ground for some time. It just wasn't one. It was a project. It wasn't really getting to the point where it could be aired. So we were trying to record quite a few and he asked me if I would show run that. So for the past season and a half, um, we've been doing that. So I've been show running the Time Is Now podcast, which is the TV show Millennium, which was on between 1996 and 1999. And that was a show that was the sister to The X-Files. It was a spin-off show starring Lance Henriksen from um, Alien fame. So, yeah, so that that's what I've been doing. That's due to come back in a couple of weeks, actually, the Millennium podcast. We we took a break at Christmas and we're we're coming back with that. Uh, in April. So yeah, so I've been on other We Made This podcast podcasts as well. I've been on things like Pick a Disc and and the like. So there's yeah, so I've been on I've been in and around the uh, the group and the network for quite some time, I would say. Mm, I'm looking forward to my episode of Pick a Disc coming up. What did you pick for your Pick a Disc? Mine was um U2 Zach Chung baby. It was the pilot episode as well, the very first. But yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big U2 fan, so um, and Matt isn't, so it was interesting to uh, delve into that and to hope. I think he has actually does actually like the song that we suggested at the beginning. So mm. um, yeah, it's nice nice to do something a bit different. Yeah, well, I, I picked "Fat of the Land" by the Prodigy, and similarly, oh, Matt Matt hadn't even listened to that album, and I was like, "But it's one of the best albums in all of time." <laughs> yeah, it is. It, I, I remember watching. When was "Fat of the Land" out? Was that ninety ninety seven? Okay, mm. so I, I would have been in the final year, the year eleven. I would have been at school, so I'd have been sixteen, seventeen at that point. So that was um, that was bang at it at that point. It was um, throughout the clubs and stuff like that where I shouldn't have been going, but potentially I might have been there. Yeah, well, I'm a couple of years older than you, so it's exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same for me. I saw them at Glastonbury '97, and it changed my life. Oh right, okay, that would have been something else. Mm. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about, although I could happily talk about The Prodigy forever. What are we talking about today, Kurt? We're going to talk about the TV show Red Dwarf. I think specifically because you haven't seen them, the Dave episodes of Red Dwarf, rather than the the classics, first six series and then the seventh and eighth in um, from the BBC. Yeah, and yeah, complete confession time. I think I did see... the, the Was there a weird one where... They played both Craig Charles and Lister and then Danny John Jules and the cat. And it was some kind of weird ass crossover that I didn't like. Uh, you might be thinking of the Back to Earth 
What? Yes, back to work. Yes, because he was playing his character. He was playing his actor on Coronation Street, um, Craig Charles. Yeah, so that was the one. Um, which that was the first one that came back since the season eight of Red Dwarf, which was back in the late nineties. And Back to Earth was the first one on Dave. I didn't get on with that at all, which I think has put me off since. And the first six series were sublime. The seventh series I felt was unfairly maligned because the sixth series was so good. The eighth series, in my opinion, not so hot. Would you have similar views of the BBC run? I I would. I actually enjoy season eight more than most people. I still think that that's a really good season of of, uh, Red Dwarf. It's probably come down in my estimation with a cup, which we'll talk about shortly with the, the Dave ones. But I would agree, yeah. I mean, season season six was was just top end, and there was a big gap between season six and season seven. Mm. And season seven really struggled, and and I think because there wasn't a studio audience there, I think things like timing and some of the stuff that we're trying to do, uh, and the guilty of this in the new run as well, but wasn't quite there, and it didn't really connect with the audience and. Uh, didn't really work, and it, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the best season seven. There's there's moments, but mm. season seven is probably the worst one out, out of the, the lot of them for me. Uh, okay, because I maybe it was just my desperate need for new Red Dwarf. I did get on okay with season seven. My my issue was the lack of Rimmer, and yeah. I didn't like the change of Claire Grogan to Chloe Annett for Kachansky. Yeah, I mean, I did enjoy aspects of of, of the change, but it what it just didn't have the same feel. And some of her comic time was was in it, actually some of it was actually really good. And they did go down some interesting avenues in season eight. They found her more in season eight than they did in season seven for me. Um, and especially with Crichton, I think they worked out that Crichton and and Kachansky in that form worked better, and they they paired them up a lot in season eight, which which I think was a good thing to do. Uh, mm. But you're right with the absence of Chris Barry and Rimmer because I think, especially with the new ones, which, as I say, we'll get into, the new ones focus quite a lot on Rimmer's backstory. And without him, you don't really have a, a soul. Lister has his own story, but Rimmer's is more interesting, I think. And I think without him, it does it does suffer. Mm. So let's go on and talk about the new Dave series. The one that I've seen, which was the, would you call it Back to Earth, Down to Earth? Back to Earth didn't have Chloe Annette at all or Claire Grogan and really just focused on the main four characters. Is that what they did going forward or have they brought back other characters as well? Uh, well, no, I mean, Chloe came back at the very end of Back to Earth. It was like a, the thing about Back to Earth was Back to Earth was a play on Blade Runner and everything that was involved in that was kind of um, quite esoteric and, the way the formulated was really strange and it's probably all a week for it. I actually enjoy it in some aspects, but it's not really Red Dwarf. It's kind of like a different avenue that they went down. It's more like a parody and, uh, you know, a, a much love to Blade Runner, the, the show, than the, the film, than anything else, really. But when it came to Red Dwarf season 10, um, because they missed season nine out <laughs> because it was was quite interesting in itself. And they didn't really consider Back to Earth for season nine either. So this, this was, it's kind of all gone a bit weird. But Red Dwarf 10 really went back to basics. It went back to the, the formula of the four of them, of Chris Barry um, as Rimmer. You've got Crichton, Dave Lister and the cat. And 
season 10 especially focused totally on the characters and it was very kind of back to old school season three onwards red dwarf and mm. and i think it was much better for for all that whereas back to earth it was more uh what's the word it kind of tried to do something big and it should have gone small like it did with, with red dwarf 10 yeah and i think that is widely regarded as when red dwarf hit its sweet spot was around series three yeah it's not the series one and two weren't good but it's almost like there were two different sitcoms with the cutoff being the end of series two, is my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you get Crichton coming back um, back because he was played by a different character in season two, I think it was. I'm mm. testing my Red Dwarf history, but... It um, was, it was. It, it, yeah. I can't remember the guy's name, but it definitely was. He was a bit more camp than season yeah. two Crichton, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, Robert Llewellyn, Llewellyn absolutely made Crichton who he is, but but yeah, it was it was a different characterization of him, and they actually write that in season three's um, Star Wars credit crawl, where <laughs> it goes really quickly, and they, exp- they kind of explain that away, which is which is fine. But yeah, I mean, as I say, I mean, Red Dwarf Ten it, it focuses a lot more on the characterization of them, and the first couple of episodes really delve into into that, and it's. Has some great jokes. The actual storylines themselves have, uh, they they have like a long joke throughout, a, like a threaded through the episode. But also the, the 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 interplay between all four of them during the course of thirty minutes are actually really good. And some of the jokes are absolutely amazing. In in and some of the best actually in in Red Dwarf Ten, Red Dwarf Eleven just changed things a little bit. But yeah, they definitely looked at what they were doing and what they had done in the past. And as I say, they were look. I think they were looking for that sparkle of season three. And do do you know whether it was written by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, or was it taken on by somebody else? Doug Naylor still writes, and Rob Grant doesn't. I think they've got a script editor who was a fan of the show. So it does retain some legitimate authenticity. Then you would you would say? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know this from from the previous Red Dwarfs that continuity isn't Red Dwarfs' favourite word because I it's think a... uh, Lister has his appendix out about four times. So, <laughs> but um, but the actual feel and look of the show they've they've gone the, the set design has completely changed. They've updated it. They're not that concerned about how it looks and you know not like a kind of a Star Trek issue where you know that's not what that's supposed to look like. But right. Red Dwarf is different. It's more about the characters and I think that. You still have the idealistic, you know, bunks that that Rimmer and, and Lister live in. So you've yeah. still got that that feel. You've still got the the look of that. You've still got them having the conversations together. You've also got the, the Mickey taking out of each other's, and you know, it, it still has that interplay, and it still does feel very much like Red Dwarf. I mean, I've never felt like the continuity stuff in Red Dwarf really matters because, no. quintessentially, I feel like it's as much if not more of a sitcom than it is a science fiction yeah i mean this is one of the things um <clears throat> what i think they did really well with, with both 10 and 11 bear in mind they are they are separated and as it happens but i know this is going to not quite air at the same time but this thursday coming there's a new feature length episode which is going to be interesting because i don't know whether that's going to fall in the camp of you know, the way that Red Dwarf has been, or they're going to go back to a kind of back-to-earth look, so we'll see how that works. But what the way that Red Dwarf 10 focused on on the characters and, you know, as you say, the situation comedy kind of thing, that, that that's how it's all built around. Whereas season 11 kind of goes a bit more and kind of focuses more on story. 
So there's less, there's less like just quick jokes and there's more story to it. And I think it works from that point of view because 10 getting back to normal and 11 gives it time just to breathe a bit more. And there's, there's some more brilliant, like sort of writing in there as well. And still this through line of, of these jokes, but it has more concepts in, in season 11 is more sci-fi based, but um, season 10 does have its sci-fi elements, but again, keeps going back to this whole, how they all interplay together. I mean, a perfect example, there's a joke about a moose. And if you get a chance to have a look at it on, online, just type in Red Dwarf Moose. It uses the timing. Danny John Jules, who plays the cat, you can tell he's using the audience as the timing. So he kind of says something. And you can tell he's waiting for the audience to calm down. But the um, the actual moose joke, it's played over about 15 minutes. But the, I think the YouTube videos cut it down to about eight. And that is the perfect epitome, epitome of what season 10 is about. It's about them interplaying with each other, about typical old school Red Dwarf. Rimmer's trying to pass an exam and the crew around them know something that he doesn't and they're making fun of him. And uh, and, and I think it works absolutely perfectly that way without being that sci-fi trope. It's got it's got that perfect um, build up to the, to the end of the, that joke and it works really well. You've made it sound like season 10 and 11 are basically carrying on Almost as if we've forgotten maybe eight, there wasn't a nine and a ten, and it's moved back to what people loved for Red Dwarf. Would you say that was fair? Yeah, definitely. I think the Back to Earth if you if you don't if you don't know Blade Runner, you won't really get some of the jokes at the same. Red Dwarf eight I, I as much as I enjoy Red Dwarf, they kind of brought in the crew of Red Dwarf back and it was you know, a lot of stories could be told that way and expanded it. But I think uh, looking back at how Red Dwarf works, it needs to be that small ensemble, either on Red Dwarf itself in the small in in the quarters, or on Starbuck because that's where it works the most. And yes, I would totally agree. If you jump from season six to season ten, there's not much of a difference. I would say it's it has its moments. It's not as good as it's not as good and as tight and as sharp as it as it used to be. By all means, there is you know acting issues. There is things that, that kind of jar a little bit. But I would say 70% of the time it actually works really well and it is a, they are really good seasons of, of Red Dwarf. I'd say if, if anyone was wanting classic Red Dwarf, Red Dwarf 10 is more chewable than Red Dwarf 11 is. Red Dwarf 11 has a bit more to it but is may not be everyone's cup of tea. I'd, I'd definitely say Red Dwarf 10 is better. You seem to genuinely really like both of them. I do. Would you consider like 10 and 11 either of them to be your favorite series or if not what's your favorite and why Ooh, ooh. i think it's again i haven't, I haven't looked at the seasons but i'd say that it's got to be three three would be probably the best season um overall the uh, you mentioned about them finding the stride and hitting their what i would say is the epitome i think three's got the gunman of the apocalypse in it which was emmy award winning it's um, season six with Gunman and the six. Apocalypse. Yes, sorry, yes. It's been a, it's been a long time since I watched the classic ones. I've been too busy watching 10, 11. Mm. Um, but yeah, so you, and I think Polymorph must be in season three, and I, I would have thought. But yeah, the I, first say, one is yeah, and then they have yeah. the second Polymorph one in season six. Yeah, so I'm going for season six then. I think season <laughs> six. <laughs> I've just convinced uh, you the same as me then, because season yeah. six is is my favourite. The, there isn't a bum episode in the whole thing. The first one is where they end up going to the planet of the Gelfs, and oh, yeah. he has to marry. 
<laughs> right, yes. Um, yes. Second one is... Nope, I've drawn a blank. I think the third one is Gunman of the Apocalypse. But no, I haven't got them in front of me. This is just off memory from watching them so much with my brother in okay. the late 90s. But no, I've, got the... them, I've got them here now. Uh, Go on. So season six, number one was Sirens, Legion second. Then you've got Gunman of the Apocalypse, Emo Hawk, which is Polymorph 2, Rimmerworld, yeah. which is the one where they've made, they made people out of... Um, I think that was was Rimmerworld the one. Yeah, he was the one where he made like things like um, Julius Caesar and that type of thing, Elvis and all those type of things. Yeah, and then out of time was the was the cliffhanger, which never got kind of resolved, which which is a brilliant thing in Red Dwarf Eleven. I think it is. The end of season eight finishes with Rimmer talking to death and going, "Not now, matey," and kicks him in the in the balls. And there's this whole scientific like thing falling apart, the universe falling apart, kind of thing. And they reference it in season 11. But what they do so cleverly is they start saying, well, what about that time you did such and such? And someone interrupts them. And then you never find out what the what happened at the end of season eight. And it's a running joke through mm. the whole episode of like <laughs> Red Dwarf fans around the world are going, what happened at the end of, end, of, end of episode eight? How did you get out of that? And they deliberately don't answer that question, which I think is genius. Excellent. Because weren't they killed by their corrupt future selves? Yeah, they, they, there was, and then Rimmer had to go into the alternate universe where it was all the mirror universe kind of thing, which was backwards, and he to find an antidote for like a virus type thing that they had on the ship. Yeah, and when he came when he came back, the virus was backwards because it was in the wrong universe, and then you get Rimmer dying basically and and seeing death. So that that's yeah, I think that was potentially what happened at the end of eight. Yeah, but um, it was how this microorganism virus had been had affected the ship and. Uh, had killed them all, and how the, how they eventually got out of that, which them, which you never find out, which is fantastic. Do you know what? I bloody love Red Dwarf. I watched it so much as a kid on VHS, sat there with my brother. I remember it fondly, but having had this conversation, I really bloody love Red Dwarf. <laughs> I need yeah. to get me on seasons ten and eleven. I definitely think that's a priority for me. Yeah, you'll have to come back to me on on Twitter and the like, just to let me know what you thought. Because I think if you, if you do like the likes of three seasons three and six, I think you will get on with it quite well. What I'll ask you though is, with being such a you know how much you love it, one thing that was ahead of its time was the Smeg ups and Smeg outs. Did you did you have them on VHS and how did you enjoy them? I very much had those on VHS. <laughs> yes, never on anything other, but it was always VHS. There were three of them. The first two were excellent, and the third one was scraping the barrel, if I remember rightly. Yeah, there was there was one where Crichton was um, kept loading up the computer. Yeah, and then talking yeah. to the screen, it didn't quite work the same. Whereas the other two, I think, were literally just outtakes, which mm. worked really really well. And as I say, it was ahead of its time because now you can't get away from a film or a TV show without having outtakes on them. And but I think the the way that those four work together. Their smegups were particularly funny because they're they're naturally funny anyway. Oh yeah, and it was clear that they were all just mates having a laugh, being paid yeah. to do one of the best jobs in the world, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting how Chris Barry, my, my girlfriend, we're watching um, some Red Dwarf Eleven last night actually, ready for this Thursday. She mentioned how Chris Barry doesn't actually not on IMDb anything. He doesn't actually do much work now. So the only time he really comes out of his shell is to do Red Dwarf. Mm. And I know that he had issues, you know, later on around the season six, season seven mark, where he didn't want to come back to it. There was people potentially saying that 
him and Craig Charles didn't particularly get along. But that seems to all be back out, out the window now because every time they get a chance to come back, they seem to do it and do it with um, openly and lovingly, which is great. I think a lot of the time, if you spend that amount of time with someone, you're going to end up not getting on for a bit. The, the yeah. same happens in music, right? People yeah. that were super close end up bickering, give them a few few months off, a, a year or so off, and then they're back together all matey-matey. I think that's probably all that it was, even if, if it even was anything. Yeah, I mean, swing back round to what we were saying before about U2's you two, you Chung Baby, I mean, that, until they found the song One, that was um, they were pretty much ready to break the band up at that point, and that was back in ninety two, ninety three. So, they you know they they were ready to go at that point. They found the song and then they found themselves again, which was uh, you know and the rest is history with that. And uh, and even so, like Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny in my favorite TV show, The X Files, that there was rumors that they were getting um, tetchy with each other, and, and um, there was arguments behind the scenes. But you know when you're doing twenty four episodes of television over a course of a year, mm-hmm. working sixteen to eighteen hour shifts. I'm probably the same with Red Dwarf. You know, it's not the the best breeding ground for all happiness and love, is it? You know, they're going to have um, um, tetchiness, as as Lister would say. Uh, yeah, and then they'd be writing it on boards and showing each <laughs> other and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Kurt, it's been absolutely lovely to have a conversation about something that just reminds me of my youth, I think. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, no, it was my pleasure. I absolutely enjoyed this. So it's good to be able to uh, speak about something that, that I dearly love and, um, you know, something that I won't, won't potentially touch upon again. So having the, and, and even bringing somebody back into the fold, I think has uh, been worthwhile. So thank you for having me. I'm sure that we'll, we'll speak again in other realms um, mm. on the podcasting network that we're on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Don't Say the C Word. I'll be back tomorrow with a different guest and a different topic. And I will see you then. Don't Say the C Word is a podcast by me, Mark Adams. My Twitter handle is at MarkAdamsHC. The handle for the show is at Don't Say the C Pod. And we are part of the We Made This Network. That's at We Made This Pod. Thank you for listening. And we will see you tomorrow. Hello, everyone. This is Tony, Network Chief of We Made This. As you know, Our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you've just listened to. We're not going anywhere, but we'd love to keep the lights on for even longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This Talent Pool on podcasting, pop culture, and, well, you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. Just head to patreon.com forward slash we made this, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash we made this and get the ball rolling.
Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast, was created and produced by Mark Adams and Kurt North. You can find us on Twitter at Red Dwarf Pod, and we are part of the We Made This Podcast Network, which can be found online at WeMadeThisPod.com or on Twitter at WeMadeThisPod. <laughs> Elsewhere on We Made This. Chucky Vision. I've been on some Chucky forums, and there is a lot of hate about Chucky being woke, having a homosexual agenda, how it's ruined the franchise by making it too gay. And I'm like, really? How can you possibly suggest that it's ruined the franchise by being too gay when Seed of Chucky is a thing? And even if people, like, I know some people, like, I mean, Seed of Chucky is quite a debatable film, but, like, even Bride is very camp. People should have known the sensibilities of this franchise ages ago. Free with this month's issue. The editor, Mark Sutherland, who's a cut. A notorious man. Yeah, he's the man that ran the magazine into the ground. He opens the issue with a really f***ing cringy editor's letter. Oh yeah, he does. Which says, For the first eight months of the year, the alternative nation was depressed. UK garage and pop shite was ruling the charts, and our music was being pushed off the airwaves and common room stereos across the land. Oh, Jesus. Now I looked into the alternative music scene of the first eight months of 2000. Already released that year, there had been Primal Screams Exterminate, Blood Flowers by the Cure, Suicide Pack You First by Therapy. Movieversaries. The highest grossing film in the case of Avatar. I don't think anybody ever considers it popular, but everybody saw it, which is really weird. It's this strange case of this film that made so much money, pushed special effects forward so much, and it isn't based on any intellectual property. Not, any, not directly anyway, but it has zero cultural footprint. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, apart from the whole visual thing, right? Like, yeah. like it's it's in, it's impossibly mediocre. It is so middle of the road. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, it's not even bad enough to be spoken about. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network. <laughs>